future, talk radio will actually educate, inspire, and make you think. The future is now. Topics and music that affect your life from Universal Broadcasting Network. Tune in at ubnradio.com. She's passionate about telling stories of amazing women who are rocking the world and empowering women to live, love, and thrive. Here's your host, Katherine Gray. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of Live, Love, Thrive, your Women's Empowerment Hour, brought to you by 360karma.com. Today, we have two special guests, which are uh, Dr. Catherine Duagarte and also uh, international speaker and leadership coach, Danny Rukin. And they're both going to share their stories of their past. Uh, they both have fascinating backgrounds that led them to the successful work that they're doing today. So we'll be talking to Danny later in the show. But first up, please welcome Dr. Catherine from CMD Fertility. Hi. Thank you so much. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm great. We're just coming off that conference, uh, the Live, Love, Thrive conference. And uh, thank you for being one of our sponsors. Uh, it was a fun day, wasn't it? It was an amazing conference. Yeah. You did such a fabulous job, oh. and it was just such a, an amazing conference to, to be part of. Thank you. Thank you. Well, uh, Live, Love, Thrive conference wouldn't be possible without great sponsors like you. So thank you for getting behind us. And uh, I can understand, you know, fertility really is about women's empowerment, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. It's taking charge of your own body. It is. It is. Uh, and, and that's something on the horizon that'll be interesting to see how it plays out in our country. Um, but uh, first of all, I want to talk a little bit about your background and your path to becoming a fertility doctor. Uh, you have a really fascinating background. I know you were born in Romania. Correct. Yes. And uh, your story of how you actually ended up in the U.S. is a very interesting one that you shared with me. And I'd love for you to share with our guests. You lived there till you were 13? Correct. Yeah. Yes, I was born in Bucharest, Romania. And I was very lucky to have a very loving family. I was uh, raised by my parents and my grandparents. Nice. And I grew up in a generation of um, lots of doctors in the family. Uh, my grandfather was a doctor. His uh, dad was actually one of the first pediatricians in Romania. Wow. Uh, my uncle's a doctor. So um, I was interested in becoming a doctor from when I was three years old. Oh, my gosh. And I always never, never changed changed uh, my dream, basically, to become a doctor. And you were the first female in your family to Correct. become a doctor. Correct. I love it. I love um, it. And then my dad was a physicist, mm -hmm. so um, also a scientist. And wow. uh, he knew that um, being in Romania at the time, it was under the Ceausescu regime. He, he was a dictator, and it was a very dark place to live at the time. Mm -hmm. And so he was lucky enough to go on a trip to the United States on a physics mission and decided to never come back and declared wow. a political asylum when I was 10. And um, and my mom knew that he was not planning on coming back. It was a very hard decision because she was very close to her parents and it was hard for her to move here. Um, but she knew that it was the right thing to do for me um, mm -hmm. and have a future for me, a much better future. So I, uh, I know you were telling me a really interesting story about uh, it was President Bush that uh, helped you get the... Um, uh, the passports only like ten were uh, issued at that time. Or Correct. Something? There you was it was really that. tough for for my dad to get us out um, because there was some international law that you can't separate a family. But it still took about three years for us to be able to get out of Romania. And so he wrote a, a letter to Ellie Wiesel, who was a friend of the family at the time, um, and also a letter to um, George Bush, who was the vice president at the time to Reagan. Uh -huh. And uh, Schultz um, at the time was the one who went to Romania with a list of 10 people uh, from the letter that my dad wrote. And I think Ali Wiesel helped as well. And we wow. were two of the 10 people that got their passports the next day after he came to Romania. It was amazing. Oh, my gosh. I have chills yeah. yeah that's like wow you then, really lucked out i mean it, you were meant to be here and then we had two suitcases wow. and two oh weeks to pack gosh. and we were out of there wow people here just that are born here can't imagine i don't think what it's like to live in a dictatorship and you know you were kind of describing your childhood to me living there and i'd love you to share that you know about the lack of food and mm -hmm. the ability to voice your opinion and 
you know, things like that. Tell me a little bit what it was like sure. to live there. Well, first of all, we weren't allowed to say anything bad about the president. Um, in fact, oh boy, we were, those we days were, are gone yes, here, right? exactly. <laughs> no comedians uh, yeah. at night. Um, there was um, a whole Oh, they didn't have Saturday Night Live, huh? No, Saturday Night Live. <laughs> um, there was major boy, brainwashing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, we had to go and sing songs for the president and say we love him and write him love letters and that he's our dad. And, and, um, and we weren't allowed to say anything bad because our parents would go to jail. Oh um, in terms of food, there was a um, big um, issue with the food. He was trying to save money for Romania, so he wasn't handing out food. We had only about few a uh, few cups of oil per month and few grams of sugar per person per month. Um, we only had a certain amount of bread and milk per family. So there's a lot of black market trading going on with people staying in line for two days for gas and milk and other necessary uh -huh. things. I remember going to the to the grocery store and all they had was cans of Adidas, which was pork hooves. Um, that's the only thing they had in the oh whole gosh. supermarket, nothing else. And wow. I never tried one, um, but I still don't want to. Yeah. But I remember that yeah. picture vividly. That's where you drew the line. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, But we were lucky enough to have resources to try to figure out how to get food and uh, trade different things. My, my grandfather was a doctor and my mom was very artistic, so she would make cards and she would sell, um, I remember, feather flowers. And so she would sell that to make money to buy food from people, um, for wow. example, gypsies that had 10 kids, so they would have more, more food per uh, family. So there was a lot of trading going on. I, I think, you know, in this country, there, there's so much, uh, it's just so plentiful. Even, even for the people that don't have much, it's so much more than people have in other places like this exactly. that have this type of uh, dictatorship. And right? people, exactly. And people don't appreciate the basic things like taking a shower. Yeah. We didn't have any water, actually. We had only drips, drips. And so uh, we would start the bath in the morning. And by the time the night came, we would have a full bathtub of water because it was just really just dripping. And so I would be the first one to take a bath and then my mom and then my grandparents. And so everybody would take in the same water wow. because there was only that one water, <laughs> you know, drops wow. from the one day. And we had to boil the water to make it warm. And at night, I remember sleeping with, with uh, bottles of hot water because we didn't have any heat and how did uh, I can't imagine how that must have felt to have your dad you know come here and and, and then not come back and you know I guess there was even, you know, you said it was three years, so you probably are wondering if and when it was going to happen mm -hmm. that you could even come here. Yes, I, I didn't know when it was going to happen, and but I knew it was something better because I had actually um, gone to the U.S. on a trip with my grandparents oh. when I was nine and a half, and to so to um, to Montreal and to New York City, and I fell oh. in love with the World Trade Center, and oh. I just loved America, and I just remember seeing supermarket and just being so amazed at what wow. how much wealth there is in this country and right. how much freedom people have they can walk around on the street and talk about whatever they want and yeah. it was just fascinating so i knew it was worth the wait you know i also wonder sometimes if uh, if you are have the ability to get to see something if your mind is so powerful on manifesting it like once you saw it does it? I don't know if you believe in these things, but I, I think like the universe can kind of conspire to make it happen when you're when you really intently have in your mind that's where I want to be. Absolutely, that's, that's I do been believe that, and my yeah. desire in life, and just knowing what I want and where I need to be, and it yeah. helps helps you get there. And that fact that you took that trip, I bet, really inspired. You know, because had you not ever seen it, you wouldn't even have known to think what about to look it or for. dream about exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. But and then not only did you come here uh, under these circumstances, but you came here and really are living the American dream. I mean, you know, to become a doctor, let's face it, that's one of the most prestigious things you could possibly do anywhere in the world. And so I think it's wonderful that you took that path, especially being the first woman in your family yeah. to take that path. Um did the uh, the men in the family, I bet they were supportive? Everybody in my yeah. family has always been supportive yeah. of my decision. And I, they cool knew one. that I have much more chance and opportunity here yeah. than in Romania. Yeah, oh, and, for sure. And we started out Do they with have the, women doctors there? They do. They have yeah. lots of women doctors. They do now. Yeah. 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 But you don't have as much choice about what type of practice you have. I see. So they kind of tell you what you'll be doing. Especially in the communist era. You couldn't right. choose to work at a certain hospital. They would take you to wherever you would be needed. Oh, Wow. And so since you were three, you knew you wanted to do this. Yes. I used That's to really cool. play with my dolls. I used to play yeah. doctor with my dolls because I was an only child. So 
yeah. to play with them a lot. Some people say that they they're, they they feel like they have a calling, you know. And I think when you're three years old and you already know what you want to do, it must be a calling. Yes, and when yeah. I was in first grade, I had I was the Red Cross representative for the class. So if anybody got hurt, I would give them the band aid and I had a little. Oh, I love I it. I still have a picture of, of me. I have to find that for you yeah. with a Red Cross. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so uh, fast forward. So now you come to the United States. And uh, this is where you studied at Boston University, yes? Correct. I came to yeah. um, seventh grade. So I started ah. in April, which was really difficult because I didn't speak uh, English very well. I had taken um, a few months of English before mm -hmm. I came. So I knew the basics, mm -hmm. and they threw me into the end of seventh grade. Um, wow. So that was a tough, tough school, and it wasn't a very good school. Uh -huh. um, and so we lived in a very small apartment. I remember full of roaches and full oh, wow. of furniture that my dad had found in the garbage, really. And wow. uh, we would, my mom and I would be very excited when the people in our building would have parties because we would have all these cans of beer and sodas to return to the supermarket to make five cents a can. So we would actually have our daily trips to the supermarket to make some extra wow. money because my dad was the only income at the time. Right. So you had tough beginnings. So we had a, we had a tough beginning. My mom. Yeah got a job um, I remember in a in a dry cleaning store um, altering pants mm -hmm. and uh, and then her second job was selling dresses and she uh, she has a PhD in art history so she she did what she could to she to sounds get a job. like a really uh, a woman with a lot of chutzpah yes yeah yes, she was amazing yeah um, and so um, then, so then you decided to go to Boston University? So I went to Boston University. Were you all University. living in Boston at the time? We were living in Boston, and I mm -hmm. went to um, high school there in Boston. Mm -hmm. And then I was lucky enough to get into the seven-year medical program at Boston University. Mm. And um, Seven years, wow. And so that was the seven years of directly to medical school. Yeah. yeah. You earned it. Yes, it was good. <laughs> but I knew what I wanted to do, so for yeah. me it was a... It was a pretty easy decision. So you knew fertility from that first point? Not initially. Initially, okay. I wanted to become a pediatrician ah. um, because that's what my great-grandfather was, and I really loved kids. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that pediatricians, it's amazing, but I feel like it gets a little boring at times yeah. to just see all these ear infections and yeah. kids aren't happy to see you. And <sighs> I, I found fertility to be my calling. Yeah. Patients are a lot more happy to come to the doctor yeah, and have exciting. a baby. It's exciting what you're able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love my job. I know that you were telling me um, that a lot of people don't. First of all, let's talk about the different ways people can can have uh, children in your fertility uh, business. Uh, there's in vitro and there's uh, surrogates and Let's talk about that. What are the sure. options? So first of all, I always like to get a history on the couple, um, figure out if they have any medical histories, any issues for infertility. So we do a full workup. We check their blood tests. We do an ultrasound. We make sure they don't have any ovarian cysts. Um, if they have a male partner, we check a semen analysis. We also check uh, the uterus and the tubes to make sure that the tubes are open. And so once a full evaluation is done, then we discuss options. Sometimes it's just a timing mm -hmm. uh, issue. Sometimes it's obviously single women or same-sex women that need a sperm donor. So they need to find a sperm donor, which is easily available. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do something called an insemination. Some people refer to it as a turkey baster method. Yeah. Al although if you've ever used a turkey baster, you really can't do an insemination with a turkey baster because <laughs> the amount is very small fallacy, and it'd yeah. be hard to do that. Yeah. So uh, we do an insemination where we put the sperm directly into the uterus at the right time of the month. Or um, in some people who need more help, we do fertility medications. Uh -huh. In conjunction with either insemination or in vitro fertilization, where we stimulate the ovaries with fertility medications for about two weeks. Mm. And then we take the eggs out by putting the woman under about a 15-minute procedure where she's asleep. We mm. get the eggs out of the ovaries, get them together with a sperm in vitro in the dish, mm -hmm. and they become embryos. And so those embryos can either be put into the woman either that month or the following month, or you can actually do genetic testing on the embryos to make sure they're normal before you put them in. So that way the, the woman's more reassured that less chance of a miscarriage or losing that pregnancy. And then you were telling me something really fascinating that uh, when people have like uh, different illnesses that they're afraid that they might pass on, that this is a, a, a really great uh, route to go is that you can actually determine which of the eggs would be likely to have that genetic disease and Correct. which wouldn't so that you can select 
the eggs. Is that correct? Correct. So if people that, have I, genetic, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. So if people have genetic disorders such as cystic fibrosis, where both partners have, are carriers, or in some diseases such mm -hmm. as Huntington's disease, where one couple, one person carries this disease that has a fifty percent chance of their kids being affected, mm -hmm. you can actually choose to test the embryos for those genetic diseases, assuming that these genetic diseases are able to be one gene um, and diagnosed genetically, mm -hmm. and you can actually uh, do a biopsy of the embryos and so you know which ones are normal to transfer so that they are assured that this disease progression stops there so that you know, kids I'm don't have it. so happy to uh, get that information out there because my guess is that a lot of people don't even know that. Correct. A lot of people I, I don't, know, know, don't yeah. know that they can yeah. prevent disease from, from happening. And then I was asking you about success stories and you were telling me also that a lot of times people have had miscarriages and think they can't have kids and, and you're able to help sometimes with that situation. Correct. I just yeah. graduated one of my favorite patients recently who had multiple miscarriages and uh -huh. she only had uh, two um, embryos that were biopsied and one was normal and, and she, this was the one that made it. So, oh, wow. so and one just, I just had one that just delivered. So she only had the one normal one, but we know that as long, as long as you find that one normal one, they, they can actually have a baby. So awesome. some, if it's genetically related. Awesome. I mean, what you do is just, it must be so fulfilling. It's very up and down. Yeah. It's it's yeah. a roller coaster because obviously right. not everybody gets pregnant on the first right. try. So right. so I I have my uh, my teary days. Let me yeah. tell you because I have right. I have a tough a tough time yeah. uh, when patients that that have tried so hard and finally get there and right. they're pregnant and then they lose a baby. Um, it's, I, it's I love awful. that you have your own practice. Um, it, it's your own facility uh, center, CMD, and. Um, I feel like, uh, you know, knowing a lot of fertility centers in the L.A. area, uh, I think you're one of the only ones that is a woman-owned uh, business. There's a, there's a few other there's ones. There's a few? Yeah. Yeah. You'd think it would be more prevalent yeah. with the topic that it is, I but I know it's uh, uh, not a lot, so mm -hmm. I think that's awesome. Um, I would think a woman would really appreciate going to a woman. I don't know. There's some sensitivity about that that would feel right, I think. Um, I'm sure it's a plus. Yeah, yeah. people people like yeah. that, and we try to yeah. to make it as one big happy family. That you know, yeah. we try to have everybody on on board, the staff. Yeah, um, everybody feels very comfortable with my. I nurses could see that. That is the vibe of your office. It's yeah. it's basically a lot of hand holding, and yeah. I give my patients my cell phone number so they can call me and if they oh have any my. questions. So so I'm pretty much available pretty much all the time yeah. <laughs> for my patients. That's cool, and I wanted to share. You told me about your very first patients which actually weren't in L.A., but they were in Michigan, because I guess that's where you started your practice. And uh, it was uh, uh, two women. Mm -hmm. And uh, tell me that story. Sure. So th that was my first patient that I had in Michigan when I moved there. My husband did his fellowship at University of Michigan, so we moved there for two years. Mm -hmm. And I worked at Henry Ford Hospital, and uh, it's a little more conservative in Michigan than it is in L.A. And so I had a, a same-sex couple who came to me, and they wanted to take the eggs from one uh, to the – and then the other one was going to carry the baby. Wow. And initially the nurses were like, what? You want to do what? Yeah. How are you going to do that? We don't really do that in Michigan. And I was like, well, you do now. Yeah. I'm from California. We do things like these in California. <laughs> and, um, and, sh and sure enough, we gave one hormones and then we timed the other one's uterus so that she was ready to receive the embryos from her partner. Um, and they picked the sperm donor oh, and wow. uh, they got pregnant on the first try. And, and it was great because they both got to be part of it. One was ge the genetic mother and one was the mom that carried the baby. And That's so, so it was cool. a really so cool one thing of them, to do. It was their eggs and the other one carried Correct. Their, the other one's eggs. Oh, that is beautiful. Correct. So it truly was their they're a union. child together. Yeah. yeah. And, I and, love that. And one of the other really cool stories that I had is um, I had a, a lovely couple who came and the first baby was conceived uh, with one of the uncles, yeah. obviously the opposite uncle. Yeah. And then the second baby was conceived. So the other uh, member of the couple carried the baby with the other uncle. So basically, oh. genetically, these children are exactly That's perfect. really cool. Yeah. We've just come so far, haven't mm -hmm. we? Absolutely. So uh, tell me... Um, what what are uh, what are some of your success stories other than what we've talked about um, that you would like to share that really stick out in your mind as being something that really really just really made you uh, just really proud of what you do? 
Um, well, one of my favorite patients um, that had been trying for many years and uh, and delivered finally um, ended up being on my birthday. It was very special. And oh, uh, it was last birthday? year on my birthday. And then I went to the hospital and saw the baby. And, oh, that's and cool. Such so a they cute have your little same baby. Birthday. Baby Andrew. He's very cute. And uh, so, it's, so it's really nice to see because you definitely bond with your patients, especially yeah, oh, knowing them for so long. And I have many of them that I keep in touch with and they come and visit me. And I've, I'm getting, and now I'm I'm getting, I guess I'm getting older because I've had several patients have three babies with me. Wow. Um, so, so it's funny. I, I guess pretty soon they'll be graduating from college, but no, it's, yeah. it's funny. It's, time yeah. goes by and it's really amazing seeing that everybody eventually gets there. That's what keeps me going. Cause it's, yeah. it's tough with the miscarriages and the failures, but right. everybody but as long somehow as they pers- per, uh, keep persevering. They can, it can normally happen. Exactly. Wow. Sometimes yeah, it will be interesting to see them because you'll see them, these kids, uh, and eventually, right. as you get older, yes. you know, go through college and start businesses and have their own kids right. and whatever. That's going to be really cool. Yeah. But I would really think awesome. of all the doctors uh, that this type of a doctor would seem more like family to the people. Yeah. I mean, you've helped them create a family. That's like really special. I know. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. it is. So, um, so that's what made you decide to go down this path is that uh, you just felt it was a calling. And what is it that you love so much about it? Well, I love the fact that when patients have these babies um, after they've been trying for five, six years to get pregnant, they are so in love with their babies and yeah. they're just so appreciative. appreciative. Yeah. And I feel like they never are able to punish their kids because um, because they've been through so much to get there. Um, another one of my favorite patients, whose name's Catherine, uh. has a very cute baby who's actually, we're going to her birthday party soon. Um, and uh, and, and she's just you're amazing. And going to their birthday party. I bet not many doctors yeah. of other you know professions are invited to these things. Yes, you, you must be invited to all that. Stuff. Unfortunately, I can't make it to all of them. Right, like of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It got it got so common at one point that I would take my daughter sometimes to the baby showers, yeah. and she would go up to the pregnant woman and say, "Did my mommy make that for you?" Oh, and so just assumed. <laughs> so that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Uh, and I know uh, your mom is here visiting, yes. and she uh, has since moved back to Romania Correct. after living here like 20 years. And she, you, you were sharing with me that she does some amazing work um, with um, remembrance of the Holocaust. And why is that of particular interest to her? So um, we have um, a long history in in our family. Um, And my grandfather was a president of the Jewish community for a while. And my mom, when she moved back to take care of my grandparents, um, she she became involved with the Jewish community in Romania. And there's not many Jewish people left in Romania. A lot of them have either left or they're older. and unfortunately, there's not a lot of awareness. Mm-hmm. And so she does a lot of awareness for the Holocaust, a lot of um, museums. She does some special shows. She's oh, also she works great. for the Ministry of Culture. Uh, she's she's like the subsecretary of state there. So she works a lot uh, with um, culturalization of Romania and she takes care of the minorities there and she's very involved and, and she's an amazing person and she travels a lot yeah. and represents Romania and everybody loves her. Oh yeah, she I, I can see that. Yeah. She's a lovely woman and obviously she turned out a lovely daughter so <laughs> yeah I can see where you get it from. Thank you. Um, well that's great she's doing all that work and she likes living back there now? She loves it yeah. and she gets to visit us sometimes yeah. which is great. And, and it's, it's a different great there now than when you all were there years yes, ago. Yes, yeah, much different. So that's it's a whole new world. Yeah, which is a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't know where things are going here in this country. Um, are you concerned about what's happening? Uh, I am concerned as a, as a person who grew up in Romania where yes. abortion was illegal. And um, I had heard of stories of many people dying because of illegal abortion. And a lot of my mom's friends had mm-hmm. illegal abortions. And um, some turned out okay, some didn't. Um, so for me, you know, the, the women's right is a very important topic right. for me. Yes. And contraception. My mom actually was not allowed to buy contraception because in Romania, 
uh, when Ceausescu was around, he wanted each family to have at least four children. And if wow. you didn't have four children, you had to pay more taxes. Because oh he, that's why there were so many babies up for adoption at one point, because there were so many women who had unwanted children. And, and the government said, don't worry, wow. just have the kid and we'll take care of it. Yeah. And so what do they do with the kid? They put it in, in orphanages and, and they ended right. up being sick and, right. and not well taken care of. I think it's a concern of a lot of people here. So I just wanted to get your opinion yeah. since you're in that space. And Boy, I'm so happy that you moved to America and that you're doing amazing things here and that you're just this incredible uh, female doctor that is um, a great example to other young girls coming up, including your daughter. Yes, right? absolutely. You think she'll be a doctor? So far, she wants to be an infertility doctor. That's oh, my gosh. That's what that's she so tells cool. people. So, so I figured out that, that I only probably have to, will. I have to wear, work 22 more years, and I can just hand her over my practice and we can change the name. I love it. I love it. That, believe me, those 22 years will go so fast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but enjoy them. Thank you. <laughs> so happy to have you on the show. Thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing and uh, really making such a difference. Thank you for having me. And thank, thank you. you for being so amazing. Thank you. Back at you. Okay, we will be right back with Danny Rukin. Stay tuned. Do you want to have more passion and purpose in your day-to-day? -day? Are you yearning to ignite your power within? Now, more than ever, the world needs women who dream big, inspire others, and are living their greater purpose. There's never been a better time to up your game and make your success happen now. Contact Danny Rukin for a complimentary consultation and find out more about how you can become more effective, energized, and empowered while making a difference in doing what you love. Go to www.dannyrukin.com. The Live, Love, Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360 Karma woman? If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. The Live, Love, Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. And we are back with Danny Rukin, who is a speaker and a leadership coach. Welcome, Danny Rukin. Thanks a lot, Catherine. How are you? Great. Good. Great. Good. I just came off of the Live, Love, Thrive conference. I how, know. How you were an incredible speaker. We were so happy to have you there. Great you, you rocked it. And we all yeah. rocked it. We it all really rocked was, it. It yeah. was fun. It, it was, was terrific. Fun. You Great know, it job. was exactly what we needed coming off uh the election, no matter how you feel about the election, sure. uh, let's say 50% of the people were uh, kind of feeling down about it. And uh, the the event kind of, I think, lifted everybody up and said, hey, let's all work together. Let's still all love each other. Let's move on. It really let's did. put it in a positive direction. Really did. We still have work to do. We really do. Yeah. And uh, it threw me for a loop because my talk was on the magic of living your life's purpose. So I was all ready to just like, you know, right. talk about. And it's never too late for yeah, that. It's it's never yeah. too late. It right. isn't. Yeah, we'll talk about that. So um, what I wanted to say is Thanks. that um, I wanted to talk about your background mm -hmm. because I always think people's backgrounds lead them to what they're doing in their calling. Mm -hmm. And so you came from, uh, you know, the, the when Colorful you tell me, the, yeah, when you tell me the stories, they're kind of comedic and I'd love you to share them about growing up in Brooklyn. Right. I mean, uh, not Brooklyn. No. I'm sorry. I know you're from Brooklyn. I, I lived from in Brooklyn. Chicago, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago, New York, whatever. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, growing up in Chicago mm -hmm. with a, um, a, I could a say Chicago kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago kind of guy, kind of that mafioso crowd that your dad was hanging <laughs> with that are colorful. Really, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Colorful yeah. and fun. Yeah. Uh, great guys. Right. Great guys. Yeah. yeah. My dad had his, you know, the guys. And yeah. They lived quite a life. And, and after I, the divorce. <laughs> yeah. Dad, there yeah. you go. And then I know also, um, uh, speaking of your background, mm -hmm. which we'll, let's talk about, uh, but y you did a one woman show about it. And, yeah. and so let's, yeah. let's just here talk in, about here in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. A few years ago. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, it, it was really, um, I think what, when you own your story, you know, it stops eating you up alive. And when you start expressing it and sharing it and, you know, not doing that in, in order to heal yourself, like, you know, do your healing and do your inner work, but, um, but also really get out there and own your story rather than complaining about it. And, um, 
Um, yeah, so many yeah. people like hold on to their past and go, oh, I had this, you know, rough childhood yeah. and, da, 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 and I'm going to drag of, it all the way through my life with me. I'm never letting go of it. I'm never time. forgiving. I'm just going to, you know, live in that darkness. Yeah. And and what you're saying is <laughs> shed some light on it. Yeah. Look at yes, forgiveness. Definitely. Yes. And, and and move into the present yes. of whatever it is you're meant to be doing here. Yeah. But um, but definitely yeah, yeah definitely but it definitely do affects the work. who you are today absolutely yeah. and definitely do the work but it's the whole thing that we've heard before which is get off the cross we need the wood yeah. <laughs> and also that you know instead of being a victim just uh, also when we're absorbed in that we we're not able to then um, do with the real work that we're supposed to be doing right. which is to bring out the best in ourselves and bring out the best in others. And that's what I do for a living. And right. it's my own story. I didn't really get much parenting from my parents. I mean, they were 19 and 21 when they, right. when I was, when I came out, yeah. when I was hatched. And, and so, I love people yeah. telling mm-hmm. the story mm-hmm. uh, because how many people are listening and they came from that same background. Yeah. You know, a lot of people yeah. back then had kids when they were 18, 19, That's 20. right. That was really was common. Ri- yeah. By the time, in, within four years span, my parents had four, Three kids. Yeah, and, and now today and they were kids themselves. Yeah, and I was so going to say they were. Uh, they were. They didn't. They, they didn't even know how to grow up themselves. So it is what it is. And and what I wanted to say about that is that instead of trying to you know dismiss your story, really you know no because it gives you more compassion and connection to what other people are going through. And I've definitely gone through my version. So what my passionate passion is is to help other people. You know, really stop complaining and blaming and really go for chasing their dreams. And there's a difference between that and uh, wishing you could you could be doing something else. That the, I think we do that as a culture. There's a lot of drama in the or fantasy. Or pretending that your uh, background didn't happen rather yeah. than just owning it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so when we let go of that fantasy and escapism, there's a difference between making our dreams, you know, living our dreams and fulfilling our dreams rather than living in fantasy land. And so rather than focusing when we're, when we're living our purpose, we're not, we're not wishing what we could be doing because that mm-hmm. still keeps us stuck. Instead, we just look at what comes naturally to you and what's what you know what you care about and what lights you up what I do lights me up that's a good sign that you're doing you're on the right track right so now let's back up Mm -hmm. because we didn't tell them about this colorful background of yours (laughs) and I know you actually had shared with me a story about you'd actually videotaped uh, your grandparents and and whatnot and just uh, tell me a little bit about that and what happened to the tape yeah yeah (laughs) so you know I I moved to San Francisco uh, I I, I was out of the house when I was very, very young, and I, I went west right away to the land of you know freedom and to be myself. And so I'd go back to visit, and uh, my dad allowed he rented a video camera for me because I really wanted to record. This was way before StoryCorps. This is um, this is in the this is in the seventies, late seventies, and I really wanted to record uh, some of the history of my family. You know, my grandparents. My grandma was the matriarch, and they had such a rich history. They had started a business together, a family business in the forties. So I got the recorder and I just took all kinds of interesting stuff, including my grandma showing me, taking me down the hall. I had the video camera and she took me to a beautiful, outdated skirt and uh, old blouse and shoes and pantyhose outfit. She just thought it would be perfect for me. And uh, and then I also it was and I took uh, my grand, my grandma and grandpa telling their history and our, you know, uh, you know, our everything and and then bickering over the unimportant details. And I got all that. But what happened is, is that um, because, you know, my dad was my dad and um, he wanted to, you know, take control of it and make sure that the videotape, he wanted to do what he wanted to do. And I really wanted to be able to take it back with me to San Francisco and develop it. And what happened was um, he had videotaped a game. He was very into sports. He was a big gambler. So horse, the whole thing. So anyways, he uh, he did tape over it. And um and, uh, so he erased it. He erased it. Oh yeah. My. You know, at the time, which is I was not young. funny, but it no, is. It, it is now, maybe. <laughs> yeah. At the time, it was really, it was really painful for me. Yeah. But you do because you knew they were about to pass away. Yeah. 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 You know, it's funny that you bring this little story up because I always tell people, 
Get your grandparents and get your parents on video. Yes, Sit them down do and that. interview them. Yes. You know, I did it with my dad. I wish I'd done it with my mom. Yeah. I always tell people that are fortunate enough to still have their parents to do this. And the funny thing is, when you sit down and interview them, you usually find out things that you didn't know about That's them. That's true. And, and I remember telling my dad, you never told me this story. He says, you never asked. Yeah. So it, yeah. We, maybe we don't ask. And yes. so anyway, it's great to get them on video. And it's really I think, true. Uh, you know, if my house were going to burn down, the most uh, valuable thing to me was it would be to grab, grab those it. videos I have of them. Mm -hmm. Like who, everything else and is replaceable. Not, we hold everything it else inside. is replaceable. Yeah. yeah. And if not, we, we hold it inside. Yeah. And then we we bring that, you know, br yeah. we bring that which we come from and uh, out into the world and express it fully. Now, yeah. your dad. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about yeah. dad. Because yeah. he was quite a colorful character. Yes, big influence. Tell me about your dad. And my mom. Both of them were yeah. in their own way. Um, you know, uh, they were very young. My mom wanted to be a singer, a model, an actress. So as a family, we all were in theater together. We'd all do shows together. In fact, oh, I'm fun. just, yeah, I'm just remembering, um, we did a lot of, uh, uh, Rogers and Hammerstein. We were all in the King and I, and my mom and dad played the lovers, you know, the, the, the illicit lovers. And I, me, my brother, my sister were one of the kids. And right before we went on at the Chicago theater company, I think it was, uh, right before we went on, uh, I had my costume, but they couldn't find my upper. And I was about 11, and I was very boyish then and still, like, was a tomboy. So when they couldn't find the upper, I had I had to go out without it, and I loved it. <laughs> I remember I loved it. And, uh, it was it, yeah, it was yeah. a great memory. Forget so the dress and the pantyhose that your grandmother was keeping yes. for you. Yes, <laughs> and just wear the, the, the lower sarong. Yeah, yeah it was a lot of fun. Funny. So, uh, so tell me about that. So yeah, so I think um, so and they his really cast of characters. yeah. So my parents divorced. Um, you know, they they weren't meant to last, and they divorced uh, when we were when I was about twelve. So my dad went on to you know kind of be a big shot in in Chicago and big heart was very very well loved, and he had his big bromance with about 10, 15 other guys, and they were rock solid. I know one of his my dad recently died about a year and some change. Sorry, and thanks and. Um, one of uh, one of his best friends uh, said that um, he said, you know, in the 46 years that I knew your dad and he said and we were together a lot. He said we never had a crossword between us. Wow. And that's the kind of guy my dad was. He yeah. really they they lived large. They were very uh they they partied a lot and uh it was like kind of cliche 70s Jewish guys with the hairy chests and the open collar on the highs and just having yeah. a good time. Yeah. And uh I got a lot of that from my dad. Like mm -hmm. I got a lot of that uh that and I also then developed the the qualities in myself that were um that were also about who I am, my mm -hmm. own person. But so, yeah, he was very, very uh, well-loved and well-known, and then there was a lot of gambling involved and a lot of trips to Vegas mm -hmm. and a, several different wives that we would go out to <coughs> Vegas and their weddings there, yeah. And, and then and, he um, ended up moving there, right? Yeah, he lived in Vegas for years. And but what was your childhood like uh, growing up with him and his gumbadis? Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, I was exposed to a lot, and uh, I learned a lot. And um, let's just say that, uh, you know, I... I learned about uh, loyalty and camaraderie and also, you know, how guys like to play yeah. and also their relationships with women. I got the inside scoop because I was a kid, but I got to see, you know, yeah. from behind. And my dad was always respectful, but, you know, I, I saw how they how they lived. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And so um, I know they were very tight. They were a big influence on you. And, yeah. and how was that growing up as a kid being in that environment? Well, I think that I was, um, I also was kind of a juvenile delinquent. So yeah. um, the, the short version is I just pretty much got into a lot of stuff way yeah. early. And yeah. um, by the time I was 18, I felt like I'd been through everything. And right. little did I know, I had not even touched the surface. <laughs> That's when we think we know it all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought I'd been through everything. And I had been through a lot. Yeah. And, uh, and I think, you know, in my years now, what I've really, really learned is that, um, that, uh, you know, when you look back, you know how to really embrace why things happen. And, and I really want to make it clear about, you know, living our purpose, that once you really do understand what your purpose is, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a way of living, living for your compelling reason. There's no stopping you. There's really no stopping you. And that's what I'm in the business of doing. So let me ask mm -hmm. you this. You did a one-woman show. Mm-hmm. About your dad, I know you end up sharing it with him before he passed, which yeah, was I did. cool. Yeah, in his hospice hey, bed. Tell me a little bit about that show. Like, what's a little excerpt from it that you might want to share? Uh, 
Right. So uh, <laughs> they were they were just uh, they were ladies' men. They just. Um, they would all, whenever I'd go back to Chicago, they would all hit on my girlfriend, yeah. friends, whoever they were at the time. They'd yeah. all think that they were, you know, going to sort of somehow, you know, uh, get my girlfriends. And they never did. Um, That's funny. So and they the, were just, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I know sometimes you talk about how they talk with each other and stuff. and They were, it was a bromance. They yeah. really, 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 you know, they, they'd fight to grab the check. And these checks, they, they'd smoke pot in the Ambassador East in the pump room. They'd smoke pot in restaurants. This yeah. is back in the 70s. Right. They'd do whatever they wanted and the right. 80s. Yeah. Right. And uh, they really and just did whatever your, they wanted. Sometimes in your show, you'd talk about how they talked and stuff. You, you give us oh, a little yeah, sample. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like how you see on Saturday Night Live, you yeah. know, tree at ease and, you know, tree at O's, you yeah. know, the bulls, the bears. And, <laughs> yeah. and the Cubs won this year, which I really don't care. But my dad used to take us to Wrigley Field and yeah. he'd be very happy that the Cubs won. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a cute one woman show and I think Thank a you. nice tribute to your childhood and your dad and, and, yeah. and stuff. And, and yeah. it was very funny. And I think. Thank you. Um, you know, there is humor in all this. So you can kind of always oh, look yeah. back at it and find the humor. Yeah. And I love that you always put your focus on all the good, how you got it from them, loyalty and mm -hmm. things like that. Oh, absolutely. Um, so what uh, what from that background brought you to what you do today to help people? And I know yeah. you help everyone from uh, business owners to artists to CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. Yep. And basically you help them to change their old mindset yes. and, and shift it to a new progressive mindset. Yes. And, and what is it from your background that brought you to do this work mm -hmm. and do it so well? I know mm -hmm. it's a gift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think what happened for me is I did not get a lot of guidance because my dad was really doing his thing, a lot of gambling and a lot of, you know, with the boys, with the guys. And my mom was doing her thing, you know, following, you know, theater and, and as things it, like that. As mm -hmm. is with a lot of people's parents. Yeah, so yeah. They were very much involved in their own thing. So didn't have a lot of guidance like a lot of people, especially back then. So my my life has been about a quest and I think they were kind of like, you know, you're so you're so great. Go out there and get them. And and I was like, get who with what? And um, I was in acting to give you an example. I was in acting in, in high school and uh, I will you know, I had the leads and I always got, you know, all, all the stuff. And it was my passion, but I didn't have the self-esteem to go for it. And um, one of my fellow students who I was in a lot of drama, you know, theater things with in high school, mm -hmm. Um, he did have that and he's, he's a big star now. And, oh, uh, you know, was that? Oh, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he's great. He's, yeah. uh, everybody knows him, but it, it shows you the difference between when you know with that confidence and you know what you want. Yeah. My journey was much different. I was also needing to come out. It was a lot of internal, but I was on a quest. And so I went West to San Francisco and I really, I was in hot pursuit of who of who I really am. And so a lot of what my life has been is to know who I am and to know how to, um, how to love myself, how to trust myself, how to inspire myself and not look outside of myself. And it took many, many years. I mean, the reason I'm here is to wake people up, myself included, to who we really are so mm -hmm. that we can make the difference that we, that we know deep inside we can make so that we don't look back and wish and have regrets. And so what I do for a living, even, even though people come to me a lot for leadership development and, um, you know, maybe chasing certain dreams or, or, or uh, feeling sick and tired of, you know, things not going the way they go, even though they may be very successful and accomplished, what they come to me, whether it's to lose the 20 pounds or to develop their workplace and whatever they come to me for, we actually also do the deeper dive um, as we move them forward to really get to know the mindset set shift. I think the per shift in perspective that um, that we're here to you know live joyous lives no matter what. It's not necessarily about getting what we think we want. It's about choosing who we know ourselves to be, becoming that person rather than, you know, uh, there's the be, do, have model rather than do, 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 do so I can get what I 
want and then I'll be the person, you know, I know I can be. It's about really being who we are and have our actions be inspired actions based from that place. Net, like have it now, now on the journey, not at the destination. Not, there's no there there. And I think right. what I want to really um, get across in our time together is that, you know, if everyone got up every day and made it their mission to bring out the best in others, Everyone they encountered that day, just imagine what kind of world we would live in. And, um, and we even, can only res be responsible for ourselves. So very as long much. as we are doing that. And bring out the best in ourselves. That's mm -hmm. what, you know, my, my brand is I'm the success catalyst. Up your game and bring out your best. And that means we're responsible for bringing out the best in ourselves, bringing out the best in others, mm -hmm. like I know we do, and that's what we strive to do. Mm -hmm. And it's not about being perfect. We're going to get selfish, lazy, grumpy, you know, blah, you know whatever. But, but what I want to stress is and I also want to challenge people to, for 21 days just say I'm going to I'm going to get up every day mm -hmm. and I'm going to um everyone I encounter I'm going to do what I can to bring out the best in that and them and then um ask you know grab someone and say you know hold me accountable for this for mm -hmm. 21 days and just see the difference that it makes and mm -hmm. they say if you do anything for three weeks mm -hmm. uh it becomes a habit so is that why the 21 days because then yeah. you get so used to it you see there's so much gratification and yes. joy in that yes because that you're going to be likely to continue in our minds right if we just keep thinking 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 it's just like it's easier to act ourselves and to write thinking than it is to think ourselves into right action. And, and if you think right. about it, it's just like 21 days. I don't even know if I can do that so for a day. So don't overthink it. Just do just it. Just do it. Yes. Just do it. And I also want to say that, that, yeah, especially what's happening in, in, this, in the world right now, I think it's so important that it's up to us it's really up to us to, to bring out the best in ourselves and the best in others. And when we do that, then we're more empowered to do what it is that we need to do. Right. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. That matters to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Now, I know you have certain passions. I mm -hmm. thought we'd talk about that. I know yesterday you were on a, on a show with... Um, um, oh, Michelle, uh, uh, lunch lunch break live with Jane Velez Mitchell. Yes, right, right. yes. Jane Velez Mitchell. And yeah, she's <clears throat> one. She's a she's a yeah. Po she's a popular uh, uh, journalist for journalist many years. Here in Los uh, Angeles. Celebrated yeah. uh, New York Times bestseller. Yeah, she's mm -hmm. a, she's wonderful. She's one of my mentors. I look mm -hmm. up to her. Yeah. And you were on her show on the topic of. Uh, being a vegan, yes? Yes, so yeah. she's uh, she's a very uh, outspoken, as I am now, uh, vegan and animal rights activist, and she has a wonderful show. You should check it out, Lunch Break Live, and I was her guest, I think it was yesterday, um, and uh, it was terrific. So you bring, you know, I had a recipe, and we made, uh, I, we've, I veganized mac and cheese and mm -hmm. uh, without using any animal products, and it's just, it was a lot of fun, and uh, she's actually invited me back, so I'll be back in Los Angeles uh, in a couple of weeks and she also has a new concept that she's rolling out called the vegan view and based on the concept let's say loosely of let's say the view and it's the getting opinions about vegans and veganism so we'll be uh we'll be discussing what what i'm about is i do one of the many things i do in my activism because i'm opinionated I'm passionate and I'm compassionate and so it's only recently that i discovered how important it is that um, the, the, the plight of animals. And once you really know what's going on, I knew that what I know about me is I couldn't live with myself and continue to, uh, to eat animals. And so I found my, I found what, you know, my purpose now. Uh, so that compassion that's inside of me. And I also have a passion for, um, uh, for creatively getting the word out without judging people. And, and it doesn't mean you yeah. can't be outraged about things, but that's different than being judgmental. So I, what I want to say is she's going to be interviewing me and, and someone else about how we do our solo demonstrations out in public places from a performance artist perspective. So we're, we're out there and uh, really just awakening people to their own compassion. And yeah. some people don't even know the difference really between being a vegan and being a vegetarian. Do you mm -hmm. want to just explain exactly? 
exactly what a vegan yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Um, so anybody out there who is a vegetarian, that's fantastic. And, and so the leap is only just a little bit. Um, uh, what a vegan is, is that to the best of our ability, we don't use uh, or exploit animals in any way, you know, for entertainment, for sports, for uh, testing, for laboratory testing, for vivisection, dissection, for, um, for wearing or buying animal products, and also for not eating them in, in any way, shape, or form. And the difference is, is that um, uh, vegans don't even eat dairy, and I've never felt happier. There's so much out there. There's so many alternatives you don't need to. And um, if you actually go to my Facebook page, I have so many recipes. I'm, I've never eaten better. I just really never have. And, uh, and it's exciting. So we don't eat anything, any animal products, because dairy is actually, if you're a feminist, the reproductive system, what we do, you know, calves milk is meant for the baby calf. So we forcefully impregnate the cows in order for her to give birth to the calf. And then we take the calf away in order for us for while she's lactating to get the milk. And the real purpose of, we're the only species that drinks the milk of other species, and the real purpose of, uh, of calf's milk is to, get, is to get a 65-pound calf to be a 700-pound heifer in the shortest amount of time. And uh, so it's really important, and, and she's, you know, she's enslaved, and of course they have to get rid of the baby, uh, the male calves, they're useless. And then the females, uh, you know, if you're a feminist, it's really, uh, it, it's really empowering for me to no longer be participating in that process that is so, um, you know, it's so horrible to the to the reproductive system, yeah, and their so, dignity. Mm -hmm. uh, as we wrap up yeah. here, mm -hmm. uh, and thank you for sharing that, yeah. uh, as we wrap thank up, you. I just want to say that I know you always say um, people need to uh, figure out what their passion and yes. purpose is, yes. and that I just want to leave them with a little tidbit of identifying that, Yes. and that is you've given me a, a, a few pointers I'd like you to share and it's you know, what makes you happy. What yes. You so you want to ask yourself. Um, you know, you, you want to remember that you know most of us are conditioned to be a certain way, and we're just tolerating just life. Yeah. yeah, we're just tolerating and settling. So once you decide what we're, we're here to find our purpose, and it's not somewhere out there, mm -hmm. we choose it. It's and so what you us. do is you ask yourself some powerful questions and allow it to lead you to where it does. And you ask yourself, you know, what makes me come alive? You know, uh, ask yourself, what do I care about. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, it goes even deeper, you know, what breaks my heart? For mm -hmm. me, what breaks my heart is the is the mm -hmm. animals, the violence against animals. And then and what then, makes you angry? And actually, yeah. yeah, what pisses you off? And yeah. that will lead you to your values. And then the final question you want to ask, what do I have to give? You know, what do I have to give? What service? You, yeah, and yeah. everything is in service of love. We're, yeah. What we're here to do is to is to learn how to love. It's to grow in love and forgiveness and compassion. I and love that. And when you're that. doing that, however that unfolds, you just let it unfold. And I love your 21-day recommendation. Yes. I think we should all jump <laughs> on, on board that. I'll hold you accountable. Oh, That's what you know, I do as a coach. You know I do that. I, oh, yes, you do, yeah. actually. I'm all about then that. Then I hold you accountable to find someone else and hold them accountable I for like 21 that. days. Okay, I'll Game do on. it. <laughs> Thank you so much for Thanks, being here. Danny, really appreciate it. Uh, and I know you're also featured in our DVD series, which is How to Find, Fun, Market, and Manifest Your Life's Purpose, yes. which is at uh, LiveLoveThriveShop.com. So thank you for being a part of the conference. Thank you for being on the show today. And uh, just thank you for being a friend. Thank I you so much, Appreciate Catherine. all that you're good that you're doing to make a difference here on Earth. Thank you so much. You're thank the best. Thank, thank you, you for all you do. Thank Thanks. you. Okay, we will be back next week. Uh, live, love, thrive here at noon on Wednesdays. Thank you so much and uh, make it a great day. Hugs and happiness. Mm -hmm. Do you want to have more passion and purpose in your day to day? Are you yearning to ignite your power within? Now, more than ever, the world needs women who dream big, inspire others, and are living their greater purpose. There's never been a better time to up your game and make your success happen now. Contact Danny Rukin for a complimentary consultation and find out more about how you can become more effective, energized, and empowered while making a difference in doing what you love. Go to www.dannyrukin.com. The Live Love Thrive program is brought to you in part by Honda of downtown Los Angeles, supporting the equality and empowerment of women. The Live Love Thrive radio show is produced by 360karma.com. Are you a 360karma woman? 
If so, spread the word. Be sure to follow us on social media at 360 Karma Women on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please like us and share us with family and friends. This is the year of the woman, and we are stronger together. 